I'm Colin. And I'm Megan. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional, Confessional, an open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet. How is your business structured? Think about it for a moment. Who reports to who? What does the flow of information and personnel look like on a day-to-day basis? If you're solo, still, how is your business structured? More importantly than who reports to who, does your business allow you to do the things that you actually want to be doing? Today, we have Doug Keeling, owner of Bad to the Bone Pet Care, back on the show to discuss all things business structure. He breaks out why they are so important and mission critical to your business, and we end this episode with a great discussion about hiring employees. Now, the last time Doug was with us was way back on episode 18. I can't believe it's been that long, and we're so happy that he's back. On that episode, he gave an introduction to his story of starting and growing his business. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I really encourage you to do so. Now, let's get started. Thanks so much, Colin. I'm so excited to be back. Um, I had so much fun recording the last episode. Um, you know, in, in that episode, I gave a brief um, introduction of myself, my history, and the business. Uh, to tell you a little bit more again, um, I started pet sitting back in 2014, and I have been a professional pet sitter for over six years now. I um, have built an award-winning team of pet sitters and dog walkers covering six counties in Florida, mainly in the Jacksonville, Tampa, Lakeland, and Plant City regions. Um, We currently have 30 pet sitters and dog walkers and are always growing and hope to have pet sitters in every corner of Florida by the end of 2020. That, that's kind of what leads me into what I wanted to talk about today is really the importance of structuring your business and, and planning for the future so that you, you don't have uh, panic phases or anything, anything like that. Um, to give you a, a little bit more uh, of, of my backstory, you know, I started as a solo pet sitter uh, six years ago and kind of added people on to help me with requests as I needed. And, um, you know, now, now I'm really trying to grow the business to, to, by the end of this year, cover all of Florida, like I said, but eventually have sitters all over uh, the, the country. And so as you're growing, you know, one of the things that you, you talk about and you recommend is right when you're starting out, um, people kind of need to make some very early and fundamental decisions about their business. Kind of where do you recommend people start? as they start thinking about building a business structure that will last. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is such an important topic, and it's something that I think a lot of people overlook. Um, And it's not just important for pet care businesses, but for all small businesses. You know, you really need to just sit down and have a heart-to-heart conversation with yourself and figure out, what your why really is. And, you know, you can read a million different books and there's podcasts and YouTube series all about finding your why. But at the end of the day, you know, you need to tap into yourself, do whatever you need to do to do that. You know, I I enjoy hiking with the dog. So I I go out on hikes and that's when I really um, plan for the future of my business and decide about these structural changes and everything. Um, and I base it all around why. Why am I in business? Why am I pet sitting? 
Um, what do I want my future to look like? And, you know, really try to figure out what you value most internally and intrinsically. You know, uh, a lot of business schools and, and uh, people will tell you it's all about the money and, and the profit margins and all of that kind of stuff. But what I, what I found for myself and for my business over the past few years is that I truly value um, knowing that I'm making a difference and being able to have a flexible schedule and things like that more than the profit margin. And by structuring my, my business and our policies and everything that we do and the way that we go about it around what I truly value it it limits the possibility of me or any of my team ever getting burnt out. Um, and that is so uh, crucial in our industry. You know, uh, for all entrepreneurs, burnout is very prevalent, but especially in, in the pet care industry and pet sitters and dog walkers in particular, um, it's so easy to allow yourself to stay up all night replying to clients text messages and and facebook comments and then you're out walking dogs all day and then before you know it you're you're burnt out and then you can't you can't make the difference in these clients lives and in their pets lives that you really want to make right and and i i, I think you really touched on there as to to why it's so crucial is if you don't sit down and set out your priorities to then design a business structure around that burnout hits hard and fast, regardless of what else you try and do in the interim. Because if you don't know your why, you'll never understand when and why you should say no versus yes to new things that come on your plate. And so those priorities really take precedence first and foremost. And I, you, know, you can revisit them periodically, make sure that they're still in check. And that's what part of that being flexible and being adaptive um, style comes into play. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, my entire business structure and what I have truly valued the most, both for my own personal life and for the business, have changed multiple times since I started my business. And I've had to kind of steer the ship, you know, to go with those changes. Um and so it's it's totally okay to reevaluate, and I I, I would suggest reevaluating uh, periodically. But so many people just forego this whole step at the beginning, and just want to jump right in and take every client that they can get and do everything for everyone, and that's just not going to be good for you. Uh, mentally or emotionally let let alone financially down the line and this this part can be kind of scary because it takes some introspection of who you are as an individual what you value and so you know i i know there's maybe some very analytically minded people out there what are some options when it comes to setting priorities because that that kind of word might be foreign to some people. Um, what what are some of the things on the the spectrum of options that someone may think of when they're designing or setting out their priorities for their business? Yeah, yeah. You know, again, I would say just have that heart to heart conversation with yourself and 
really figure out what you value most. And, um, you know, a few years ago when I started my business, what I valued most was being able to touch and help as many families in my area as I could. So therefore, I structured my business um, all the way down to um, how I hired, when I hired, where I marketed, how I marketed, what services we offered, and, and the prices were all based around being able to help as many families in our area as we could. As time has progressed, you know, I really value now uh, the ability to have a flexible schedule and know that while it's great to be able to help all these families, I need to be able to help myself and my own family also. So I've, I have changed some of our policies and even gotten rid of some of our services and added different services to kind of meet those new goals as, as time has gone on. We started 2019 with five pet sitters, five full-time pet sitters, and we ended the year with a team of 30. And um, so there was lots of change happening every single day. And I was having to reevaluate all of this stuff. I mean, almost weekly, if not monthly, to, to go along with the change and make sure that the, we were always being steered in the correct uh, uh, direction. And what came along with that was I had to create the operation manager role and hire someone for that role to ensure that I was still able to keep my flexible schedule and travel when I wanted to and, and do these other things, these other priorities that I did not have a few years ago when I started my business. We've thrown out the term a couple times already um, as far as like business structures. To somebody who's not familiar with that or what even the options are, could you give some examples of possible structures and how they may relate to different priorities someone would have? You know, a lot of people uh, that start out pet sitting or dog walking will start out just as a solo uh, pet sitter. So they're, they're managing themselves and, and all of their, their marketing, their clients' information, they're doing everything themselves. I, I, I see that a lot, especially in our local community here in Florida. So that's one way to start out. And then as you grow, um, you kind of, you need to know whether or not you're going to hire from the beginning. And that goes back to that heart to heart conversation um, that you have with yourself when you're deciding how to structure your business and what kind of policies to have is you need to ask yourself, you know, do I enjoy hiring people? Is that something that I'm good at? Am I going to want to manage these people? Or is that something that I really don't want to have to deal with? So that goes into your business structure. You know, um, are, are you going to be a solo pet sitter? Or are you going to have a team? And if, if you're okay with hiring people, or even if you're not okay with hiring people, but you know, you want to be able to delegate some of the work, what I would say is find someone that is good at hiring people and then hire them. So you only have to make one hire and they can do the rest for you. That was one of my biggest struggles when I started that at the bone a few years ago was that 
I had no experience uh, interviewing people and it made me very uncomfortable that I, I wouldn't know what I was doing and that I wouldn't be able to structure uh, the business correctly around it. So what I did is I went out and found someone that was really great at hiring people. That's what she had done for another company for a long time. And I just hired her and said, hey, I need you to go hire pet sitters for me. Um, <laughs> and yeah. it worked out beautifully. Just to loop that back in with business structure, you know, when you start to, when you make the decision if you're going to hire or not, um, if you decide to, then you need to know, you know, how are you going to manage these people? Are you going to manage them yourself? Are you going to have someone else manage them? And are they going to be manageable at all? Um, because labor laws are different in every state, you know, and I, I can't speak to that, but I know that uh, in Florida, how you can treat a independent contractor is extremely different than how you can treat an employee. Um, and there's different guidelines and stipulations, you know, that, that will vary from area to area. Um, but, you know, if, if, you decide that you want to build a team under you and you are a control freak, uh, you need to have employees, not independent contractors. Um, but if you're okay with being a little bit more trusting and a little bit more hands-off, you might be okay with independent contractors instead of employees. And then there's different ways to structure these different teams. Um, you know, uh, I know of a couple different businesses in our area that have independent contractors, and it is truly a collection of independent contractors by definition. The, these couple companies, um, they go out and find these existing solo pet sitters, and they hire them under them. And these pet sitters, even though they're operating under this one company's name and they're getting client referrals and insurance and bonding and everything from this uh, parent company, they are still out there setting their own policies, their own prices, and all of that um, just between the sitter and the client. That is uh, really how a independent contractor environment is supposed to work. You know, they're supposed to just offer you their services and without any kind of management. But on the opposite end of that, you know, people that work for Rover or WAG or some of these uh, larger big box uh, companies, they're also independent contractors. But the, the platforms, the, the companies themselves kind of say, hey, you know, these are our list of criteria and our policies. And as long as you agree that you will provide your services under these stipulations, we'll agree to send you clients. Uh, and then as soon as you don't agree to these policies, then we won't send you clients. Um, so those are kind of two different ways to structure uh, a team of independent contractors um, from, from the get-go. And then as you grow, as your team gets bigger, uh, again, you'll have to ask yourself, are you going to be managing these people? Are you going to have administrative help? All of that kind of stuff. Uh, for, for me personally, you know, I really... I, I got into pet care because I love hanging out with animals. I, I don't want to sit in front of a computer or in an office all day. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, so 
I, as the business has grown, I found ways to kind of delegate as much of the administrative work as I possibly can. That way I get to stay outside with the dogs all day. I mean, that's why I got into this in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is, I think the reason a lot of us or most of us get into providing pet care is we love being with the animals and serving them and and helping families in the area. And then when you start growing all of a sudden, like, Oh, I've got all this admin to do. And Oh, I've, I I need to be managing now. And Oh my goodness. And all this stuff starts being piled on your plate. And I, I like how you're presenting that of just, you know, making that decision of, you know, admin, I don't want to be behind my desk all day. How can I make that go away is bringing somebody on to take care of those tasks so I can focus on what I really want to be investing in. And that gets back to understanding your why and to help prevent the burnout and the fatigue and those things that go along with it. As you make these decisions, you can start taking some of these other burdens off of your plate so you can focus on what you really want to be doing sometimes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It it all goes back to having that heart-to-heart conversation with yourself and finding that why. Ab- absolutely. It may mean that you give up some of your profitability uh to be able to have someone to help you with your admin side or it may mean that you even offer different services or different type of services. Uh so a lot of people just jump in and say, "I'm going to be a pet sitter and dog walker." But what does that mean at the end of the day? Are you doing midday dog walks in in high rises downtown? Or are you doing uh, overnight farm care out on the outskirts or anything in between? Right. The, the options are broad and vast and as niche as you want to make them. That, again, takes some understanding of the market and what options are out there and making some of those decisions as you, you grow. What do you what services do you add? What services do you take away? I cannot stress the importance enough of really thinking ahead. And it doesn't have to be an exact plan. You know, you don't have to say, on June 13th, 2023, I'm going to be doing this and I, my team is going to look like this. Mm-hmm. You know, just get out a napkin and a pen and jot down the first things that come to your mind of what you want your life to look like and what you truly value. And then just kind of build everything around that and have a a loose plan that you can kind of follow so that you know um, when you hit, let's say, $10,000 a month in revenue that you will want uh, administrative help or that you will want to get uh, a a system like Time to Pet that you can process through uh, invoices and scheduling through, you know, having just a, a general idea of what you are going to be doing in the future, it will help you so, so, so much, so much. And just absolutely preventing that burnout. All of this just comes back to preventing any possible burnout. So you walked through solo sitter collection of uh, independent contractors. What are some of the other structures that look like kind of on the larger end of that spectrum? Yeah, you know, as your business grows, it you will have to ask yourself again, you know, what you want help with and what you will want to delegate and not delegate. 
And as you make these hires and make these decisions, um, your business will kind of take form. Um, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't let it just take form. You need to plan ahead of, mm-hmm. of what you want it to look like. For example, I, I have a spreadsheet breaking down what exact hires I will be making and how I will be delegating certain things um, mm-hmm. all the way up till five times the business size that we're currently at. Wow. Right. And it and I'm not saying you don't you have to be that detailed. You know, I just I love playing with spreadsheets. So I <laughs> I do that kind of stuff. But, you know, just start on a napkin, start on a, in a in a loose leaf notebook, you know, and start jotting these things down. For for me, you know, we have pack leaders that do some things and then we have a one operations manager that kind of manages all of the pack leaders and catch is all the admin stuff that kind of falls through that way. Um, so it, it's kind of taking more and more of a corporate style structure as we grow. And, you know, the, my next hire will be some marketing help um, down the line. So it's, it's really starting to look like more of a, a corporate company. Of course, without the feel, you know, I I would never want to (laughs) run a a, a corporate feeling company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't, yeah, I don't think anybody does. And and as you mentioned earlier, you know, you don't want to just let things happen because that's how that culture changes. If it just let, if you just let it happen, it's there is intentionality in this in making sure that structure is reflecting your personal priorities to maintain that the that culture that you want and not have that corporate you know big business kind of feel you've talked about before about you know in the midst of all of this the importance of making sure that you are registered in, as an actual business but to not not get bogged down in some of that paperwork and some of that process what kinds of pitfalls do people fall into and why should they go through that long process? You know, I, I've talked to a lot of just solo pet sitters and people that are on Rover or, you know, different different uh, options. And I've, I've had many of them tell me, oh, I love what I do, but I, I want to start my own business, but I have no idea where to start. And it's so easy to let that hold you back and to let it seem so much bigger and more complicated than it really is. You know, I have to tell you when I, when I started bad to the bone, I had no idea what I was doing. I said, I said in the last podcast that like I filed my, my paperwork with the state to register as a business without even ever thinking about the fact that I was registering to start a business. (laughs) And it sounds crazy to say that, but you know, don't let these things feel so overwhelming. Break them down just piece by piece. You know, say you have this big goal of of having this amazing pet sitting and dog walking business and all of these things that you want to do with it. It all starts with this just the getting filed with the state, getting the proper insurance, getting bonded, you know, all of that kind of stuff. You you cannot be a real uh player in our field without those types of things and um you know there's so many uh attorneys and different people out there that are 
that, that, that will charge an arm and a leg to walk you through this kind of stuff. And I, I can tell you, if I could figure out this paperwork without even knowing what I was doing, <laughs> anybody can figure it out, you know? <laughs> I mean, and I taught myself how to do it just by watching YouTube videos. I got mm. on YouTube and I, I typed in how to register as a business, how to sign up at, for business insurance. And I watched a few videos. I think I read like a WikiHow article and I figured it out. And I just broke it down step by step, day mm. by day. And I didn't let it overwhelm me. And I think that's the most important advice I can give people starting out is it seems overwhelming, you know, planning this business, filing the paperwork, doing all these things feels and looks huge. But when you break it down bite by bite, you know, it's it's not huge. It is something that you can do and do very well. Absolutely. It can really look like a mountain when you're just starting off. But one step at a time, one chunk at a time, and and it it does happen pretty quickly. Especially as you you know may reach out to to friends that are doing it or other businesses in the area. How did they do it? Or especially you know YouTube and, and the, the wikis out there just really break it down so simple these days. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, and if I could go back and give myself any advice to when I was going through this process, is I wish I just would have taken better notes. And because I'm all about data, you know, the more data that you can have about your full business and everything that you're doing will help you better determine your future policies and your future direction for your business. Again, going back to that why and it's, you know, to, to keep records as you're going through this process. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't. And I, I really wish I had. Uh, now, you know, I'm all about having Google Analytics and Facebook Pixel. And I have spreadsheets, you know, tracking every different thing. And you can hook, uh, you can use uh, systems like uh, Zapier to connect a spreadsheet to the, the contact form that you have on your website. That way you're able to keep track of all of your clients' information really easily that way. And just having this, this data, this information will, will help you so much down the line. You've mentioned your personal priority of flexibility. You, you really value that. Walk us through the current structure of Bad to the Bone and how that reflects that priority. Currently, I am uh, doing traveling pet sitting full time. I'm just doing traveling pet sitting gigs, um, kind of bouncing around between California, Oregon and Washington. And I love doing this. You know, it's I, I, I love it. I love traveling. I love having a flexible schedule. I love being able to be outdoors and, and hiking and being with the dogs. And like I said, not, not getting just uh, drowned in the, the admin side of things. So because of that, what I've done is uh, with our team of, of pet sitters, I, all of our policies, every, every single thing that we do is so that I can be across the country in a different time zone and not have to worry about the little day-to-day -day things that, that, that might happen. I think a lot of people that are starting out hear that and say, holy crap, you know, that, that's crazy. How, how could you do that? It's, it's easy. It's, it's, it's way easier than 
you think it would be when you break it down step by step, like I said, and when you have a, a set plan and when you know what kind of structure you want to go with and everything. So uh, our team, everyone goes through a pretty rigorous uh, interview process so that we know that we won't have any issues with the pet sitters. Everyone starts as a, as a pet sitter and a dog walker. Um, and, you know, a lot of people will opt to just stay as a pet sitter or dog walker. But after they have been on the team a few months and have really proven themselves to really go above and beyond and be amazing for their clients and they've gotten five-star reviews and, and all of those key things that you want to see, um, I give them the option to then be a, what I call a pack leader. And uh, our pack leaders essentially operate as a, like a local area supervisor. They are able to hire and manage pet sitters underneath them. And they act as those pet sitters um, emergency backup. And they manage those sitters uh, schedules and invoicing and all of that kind of stuff uh, via time to pet. Um, so by, by structuring it this way, that means, you know, if a pet sitter were to have an accident or get sick or, you know, knock on wood, something happened, I know that there is a pack leader to fall back on that can swoop in there, cover the visit, um, and which allows me to go travel, you know, and again, it, I, I give up some of the profitability to be able to have that peace of mind, but I would rather give up um, that that money in exchange for the flexi flexibility that it allows me. Um, yeah, so our team now is it's thirty pet sitters, and we have uh, I believe six pack leaders uh, currently. And um, we have one operations manager and our, our operations manager, she kind of monitors everything that's going on with the pack leaders and the pet sitters and just really ensures that nothing ever falls through the cracks. And she is there in Florida again. So, you know, let's say just knock on wood, a pet sitter gets into a car accident, they can't show up to the visit. And then the pack leader is also sick, you know, then there's another layer of protection that I know I can depend on. Um, and it allows me to, again, have a flexible, flexible schedule and, and not worry so much about the administrative side of things. Yeah. And I think that the key takeaway from, from that entire structure is the peace of mind it gives you in that entire process is that that structure, bringing on the right people, and and I, I want to talk about this in a little bit as far as that that rigorous hiring process allows you to have the right people around around you so that it is a well-oiled and operating business. And that peace of mind is is the major takeaway from that is that yes, as you mentioned, you there is you are giving up some profitability there, but the peace of mind to you is so much more valuable than that. 
in the long run. It, it's interesting. Clients will kind of pick up on this. You know, they they see that you have so many different layers of protection. Uh, they see that you you if their pet sitter doesn't show up, there's a pack leader, and then there's an operations manager, and there's all these different layers to it and they love that clients eat that stuff up and they will pay extra for it right because they're they're paying for a service and the structure that you have is basically a guarantee that it will happen right whether it's the pet sitter if that falls through the pack leader if that, you know like there's there's that there's that backup of a backup that's going on there but it really all does go down to having the best people. You know, it's, it's what we do is so incredibly personable. You know, we, we are in these clients' homes with their babies. And, you know, it, it becomes so personable. And you can become friends with these clients and, and create these long-lasting relationships. And None of that would be possible if you had the wrong people on your team. So we have a, a really set hiring process that I, I have our pack leaders go through when they're ready to bring someone on. And then uh, we pay our pack leaders actually a percentage of the jobs that their pet sitters do. That way, um, you know, if their pet sitters aren't doing well, then they aren't doing well. But if they are doing really well, then the pack leader is is making more money and they're doing well. So it, it all kind of feeds off of each other, which, again, just really hones in on the good hiring practices and, and making sure that, that we're making the right decisions um, in, in those terms. And I tell our pack leaders, you know, on a regular basis that, you know, if you can't find the right pet sitter, refer the client to a to a different reputable company because i would rather lose the business entirely than risk sending them the wrong person i don't know i don't know very many business owners that think that way but again it comes down to to really knowing yourself and knowing your why and to me it is so so important that these families, you know, they are, they're willing to trust you with the keys to their home, with the keys to their fur baby's heart, you know, and that is something that we cannot just look past. That is so incredibly huge on so many different levels. And, you know, so if we don't have the exact perfect fit pet sitter for a family, I will absolutely refer them to a, a, quote unquote, competing company, you know, rather than send them the wrong person. Have you heard about Time to Pet? Chris Ann from Raining Cats and Dogs has this to say. Becoming a Time to Pet client has been a game changer for us. We can give our pet services clients real time cloud-based information they never imagined they'd be interested in. And most importantly, to me personally, I can better manage my company and look forward to more. And not a small thing, Time to Pet is responsive to my request for new features and modifications to existing ones. If you are looking for new pet sitting software for your business, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of Pet Sitter Confessional get 50% off their first three months when they sign up at timetopet.com slash confessional. That's that level of dedication to the care and the the seriousness 
for each individual job that not only you are bringing, but you are instilling in each of your employees. And so in that process, you know, you mentioned it's incredibly personal and it is, I I could not agree more. How do you screen for or look for those kind of qualities in a potential hire? Like I said earlier, um, I'll start by saying if you're not good at hiring or it just makes you uncomfortable or something, you know, find someone that is good at it. Um, and create a list of the either way, whether you're doing the hiring or whether you're having someone else do it, you should create a list of the exact things that really matter to you and matter to your clients and, and your future clients. And that list is going to be a little bit different uh, for everyone. Um, we have a list of criteria that all of the incoming applicants have to meet. And then we have a list of questions um, for each stage of the interview process. And we really do uh, put a lot of thought and work into this entire process. On our list of things to really watch out for, we have, um, if they ask to reschedule the interview, um, whether we do a, a phone interview first after we receive their application, um, and then we do an in-person interview, um, usually at a, at a coffee shop or somewhere sit down. And then we do actually another interview after that, usually at a dog park um, so that we can see the potential sitter interact with um, new dogs that they aren't familiar with. And I can see them strike up conversations with, with strangers at the park also. Um, but if it, anywhere in that process they ever ask to reschedule, they're an automatic no on our list. Because if they think that they can reschedule an interview for a job, then why wouldn't they think they can inter, uh, reschedule, let's say, a, a, a drop-in visit uh, or a meet-and-greet with a client? And that is just, in my opinion, that's not a good look for your team to be asking to reschedule things. Uh, for phone interviews, I have the potential sitter call us. I will say, you know, hey, I'm available for this phone interview um, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday on this week, call me anytime in that, in, in that time span. And if they take, you know, if I send them that message on a Monday and if they take until Friday to get back to me, they're an automatic no, you know, because our, our clients expect uh, very expedient responses. They don't want to have to wait a couple days to know but, uh, if their request has been booked or not. So I need to be hearing back from the applicants immediately from, from day one. And these are, these are all just little key things, you know, that you can pick up on throughout your interactions without even getting into the questioning in the interviews and, and things of that nature. Because what's really important here is that the interview is going on before the interview starts is what I'm hearing here is, is how you process that, you know, oh, before yes. that person is even in front of you or on the phone or in the coffee shop, they, they are sending out sometimes unintentionally cues of how serious they take it of the importance that it is on their schedule of where their values are. And that's an immediate, as you've, as you've laid out here, cue as to how they're going to operate moving forward. You know, these little, these little habits of, oh, they didn't call me till Friday. 
you know, and I've sent it on Monday. If you don't pick up on that immediately, you know, who knows how they'll be communicating four months into the actual job. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it, it, it all starts before the actual interview. Um, even in our application, we have a few different um, questions in, in our pet sitter application that says, you know, hey, here's a situation. Here's the details of a situation. Uh, tell us exactly what you would say to the client word for word. And I have a lot of pet sitters that will submit the application and say, well, if this, then this, you know, and, and I might tell the client this, yada, yada, yada. But that shows you right from the beginning that they weren't reading and following the exact instructions. You know, we, we asked for the exact message or the exact phone call that they would be placing to the client, not a, well, if this, then this scenario. Um, and if they can't follow those really basic, simple written instructions from the get-go in their job application, then why would they follow the simple instructions in the client's notes saying to give Gus his medicine at exactly 8 a.m. because uh, of his uh, diabetes or, you know, whatever the situation is. Those really minute details can tell you so much right from the get-go. Because I think a, a lot of times when people go to hire, they say, oh, I want someone who has a good attention to detail, but they don't really know how to screen for that. And so this example of giving explicit instructions as part of the interview or questionnaire, and then seeing how they respond to that is an immediate way to see is this person detail oriented? Well, I gave them, I asked for detail. They gave me no detail. They're not detail oriented. So over the years, what's been one of the biggest things that you've learned about hiring people? Oh, wow. You know, uh, the, the biggest lesson that really stands out to me is trust your instincts, follow your gut. If you have any inkling whatsoever for whatever reason even if you can't quite put your finger on it something just feels off don't do it do not hire them um, it will always come back to bite you um, really this this business is your baby you value it more than anyone else you know your clients you know your services you know even if you can't put a finger on it, if it just feels off, don't do it. I'm interested in um, a little bit more of this hiring process. Um, you said you know you have a few situational kind of questions. Uh, if you don't mind, what are some other kinds of questions that you like to ask either in that uh, packet or when you're out in the dog park or, or anywhere along the process? Yeah, yeah. You know, the the um, situational type questions in the application are really my favorite. And that's what I really look at um, more than anything. And we have a, a, our most common question um, on the application that I think is the most telling for applicants is, um, let's say, you're, you're doing a series of drop-in visits, three drop-in visits a day for a client. And you notice in the evening visit that um, the, the dog's paw pad is slightly red and slightly swollen, but doesn't seem to really be bothering the dog. Um, 
what exactly would you say to the client if you would say anything? Um, and then the next question after that is, okay, now you've showed up for the next visit and it is extremely irritated, um, very red and swollen, and you can tell it is bothering the dog. However, the client has not responded to your last message informing them because they're out of the country with no cell service. What do you do? Um, and these two questions can be so, so, so telling. Um, I would say 50% of applicants that we get would say that they wouldn't tell the client anything at the first visit, that they would just make a mental note of it and move on. And I mean, if that's not a huge red flag, I don't know what is. <laughs> right. <laughs> the the people that say that they would, in, you know, it contact the client and then they've moved on to the next question and everything. It's it's crazy the amount of people that would say that they would just wait to hear back from the client, knowing that the animal is in pain, and you know, that can be so so telling. And again, that kind of goes back to having your the correct policies and procedures and stuff, because we, we do have some uh, applicants that will actually read our policies and procedures before submitting their application, and then they will quote those in these two questions, and they'll say, well... I I did instruct the client at, at the first visit because that was what I was supposed to do. It was the right thing to do. This is what I said to them. And then at the next morning, you know, even though the client hadn't gotten back to me, um, I did have their vet information on file with instructions on what I could do with the vet and not do with the vet per our client contract. And this is how I would proceed with the vet. What that's really showing is, you know, for those, for those people who are applying and they've already read your policies, like that, that just goes above and beyond some of those initial expectations is, is wow, this person really took the time even just take a cursory look at what our policies are, that goes a long way to telling how they're going to act in the future versus somebody who just goes, eh, I may take a picture of it just to document it. So that if they yell at me, I can show it to them or something like that. Like that kind of nonchalant cavalier attitude. Yeah, that, that, that's giving me heartburn just thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> you and me okay. both. <laughs> oh, man. You should see some of the applications we get. I mean, it's uh, some of them are truly cringeworthy. <laughs> it, it's amazing. It, it blows my mind. Sure, but that's why you have those in place is so that those people, however well intentioned, don't end up on the front lines interacting with people uh, and their pets because that's that's the level of service and quality that that you and the clients expect from them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and then going outside of just these questions on the application, when you're actually interviewing them, it's just really paying attention to all of those personal cues. Um, because again, what we do is so personable and these pet, pet sitters are going to have to kind of sell themselves to their future clients in their meet and greets. And if they can't sell themselves to you in an interview, then they'll never be able to sell themselves to a potential client in a meet and greet. Um, and that really comes down to, did they come 
uh, showered and in clean clothes and you would be amazed. I mean, <laughs> you would be amazed. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And did they make eye contact? Did they shake your hand right away? Those types of details, I think a lot of the time will show even more than what they actually say in the interview. Yeah. That mindset of these are as much as they are uh, pet care providers. They're also, as you mentioned, salesmen for the services and customer service interaction with the clients. And so all of those nonverbal cues are huge and play a huge role in in um, meeting expectations and bringing on new clients. And that's one of my favorite reasons to take them to a dog park, you know, because then you are surrounded by complete strangers um, and their pets. And, you know, dog parks are kind of known for being very communal. And it's it's easy to just walk up and start a conversation with them about their dog. And if you take a potential pet sitter to a dog park and they just stand there with their arms crossed, not talking to any of these people at the dog park, you know, that's a that's a big red flag. You know, you want to see them running in there, playing with the dogs in a in a, you know, good manner. Right. Um, and, and striking up, you know, really healthy conversations with these people. And even then working the business into those conversations, not in a salesy way, but just saying, you know, hey, you know, I, I am a pet sitter. Mm-hmm. And if you were ever in need, you know, yada, yada, yada. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> after someone's been, been uh, a pet sitter and dog walker for a while, how do you know when it's time to start moving them into a pack leader position? What are some of those qualities that you look for for, for that move? Yeah, well, I, I always make sure that pet sitters know from day one that there is opportunity to move up, you know, that if they do really well, that they could become a, a pack leader down the road. As they go through clients um, over their first few months on our team, I really watch for how they communicate with clients more than anything. It's it's not easy always to communicate with people that you don't really know that well and you're in their house and it's like, do I say this? Do I not say this? How do I word it? And some people just have a knack for that. You know, they are just really excellent at communicating the good things and the bad things because it all has to be communicated. And they they take really, really great photos and they always show up to their visits on time. They're going to their meet and greets five minutes early, you know, those kinds of things. When, when, I, when I'm seeing all of that, and especially when they're bringing in um, some of their own clients through their connections that they may have at, at their other job or with friends or neighbors or whatever, then I kind of start pushing them towards that pack leader role um, when, I, when I see those things happening. But again, I, I really leave it up to them and I to design the pack leader role to to meet their own personality so we have a list of of criteria and tasks uh that each pack leader must meet but it's up to them to decide um do they want to be a pack leader of the entire city of jacksonville and have you know 15 pet sitters working underneath them or do they only want to be the pack leader of their little neighborhood and just have their next door neighbor help them with just their handful of clients. You know, I I leave that up to the individual pack leader 
to really ensure that everyone is happy and really that it just goes back to finding your why and helping them find their own why so that they can then avoid burnout. Right. Yeah, that's so important is to, you know, while yes, you are, you know, they are employed by you, you know, that the role that I see going on here is really kind of this, this mentorship and really investing back into them to keep them going so that they don't burn out and that they can continue to maintain that high quality of of service and, and get a lot out of the job and not just make it a drudge. So that next step, you know, from, from a pack leader, how, what qualities do you see that differentiate a, a pack leader versus the, your operations manager as far as organization or communication or those kind of things? So uh, our operations manager, she was a pack leader um, for a long time and her team kept growing and growing and growing and uh, she was excellent at everything. And, and I kept thinking to myself as her team grew, man, she's, she's going to burn out eventually. Something's going to happen. And nothing ever did. You know, she was always on top of it. And um, she actually came to me and said, hey, you know, the business is growing. I think this should be the next step. Um, what if I helped with this position and these tasks that need to be done? And Wow, it just, I, I can't say enough that I just got so lucky. I just got so lucky, you know, uh, to have such a wonderful team and to have people that that hold some of the same values that I hold and, and understand how important all of these things are. It's it's truly amazing. I can really see how those those qualities of somebody who is able to to manage themselves and and has those not necessarily coping mechanisms, but these these healthy ways of dealing with stress and and is not burning out. How th- that would really set apart to that operations manager level because of everything that that person is now dealing with. Being able to uh, unplug yourself, you know, as the operations manager, and being able to help your pack leaders and the pet sitters underneath them you know, set working hours for yourself that you, you will reply to clients during these hours and you don't through these other hours because otherwise you'll get burnt out, you know, setting, setting that example from, from the top down is, is so important. Uh, not only setting that example uh, as far as avoiding burnout, but just having the, the skill and the wherewithal to be able to delegate some, some tasks and to be um, just a, le- a leadership figure without being too pushy. You know, those are really, I, I don't know if that kind of stuff can be taught or not, um, but I've gotten extremely lucky to just have people that know that I- intrinsically, you know? Yeah, and and um, how much things are, are are caught versus taught in those scenarios and being able to work one-on-one with some really amazing people, I, I'm, I'm sure definitely it helps in that process that allows them to, to grow in, in knowing that, that you and others are continuing to invest back in and are, you know, concerned for people's well-being. You know, that, that goes a long way to helping those, those people flourish in those kind of positions. One of the things I, I've heard you talk about before and you've mentioned are, um, action plans or a plan of action that you can sit down and you can kind of design those on a monthly and weekly basis. Could you give a little bit of detail about those and why you think they're important 
to keep the business moving forward? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I personally, I create, um, a yearly plan at each December, I will create a, uh, a broad general yearly plan of, you know, this is approximately how many clients we want to bring on. This is approximately, um, how much we want to grow, where we want to grow, how we're going to do that. And then at the end of each month, I really take this broad plan and say, okay, these are the big tasks for the next month. Um, and then each week, each Sunday, I sit down and I say, okay, these are the monthly tasks. What needs to be done this week? And I break it down day by day. And again, like I said, with the filing your business paperwork, you know, creating a business plan like this does not have to be a big overwhelming thing break it down bite by bite and it doesn't have to be perfect it, it doesn't have to be this big 17 page business plan perfectly formatted uh like at business school you know you can do this in a in a notebook with just a pen and paper and and jot down what your yearly goals are, and then break those down into monthly goals, and then break the monthly goals down into weekly goals. And then, you know, I have daily checklists for myself and for our operations manager to make sure that we're meeting all of these different goals and tasks. And, and if you don't have something like that in place, using this slow season time to, 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 to work on those and to start planning for the coming year for next slow season and so that you can be in a better place at that point. The most important thing is just to never let your business go stagnant. I see that with uh, a lot of local pet care businesses where, you know, they've been at it for so many years and, you know, they have so much going on that they kind of forget that even though, even though they don't want to grow any larger, they're not doing anything to keep the business active and moving and, and changing. And it just kind of goes dormant and clients pick up on that. You know, if you are never updating any of your policies and procedures, if you're never updating your website, if you're just kind of doing the exact same thing day in and day out, year in and year out, clients will kind of start to step back and go, well, I might be better served somewhere else. You know, that, that speaks volumes to how much you are investing back into the business and how much you are trying to, you know, maybe learn from mistakes or learn new things, new, learn new ways of doing things and continually being ad adaptive to the, the ever-changing environment around you. you. You've talked about your, um, your policies and your SOPs, and, and they seem pretty systematized at this point. Why is having such exact policies and SOPs in place important for you and your business? They say if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So I say stand for your business. Stand for the health and the growth and the well-being of your business and your own mental psyche. And if you don't have these set policies and, and systems and procedures in place, you will fall for anything and you will not be standing up for the strength of your business. And it goes back to finding your why and having that conversation with yourself from day one. You know, do you want to 
um, when it comes down to your systems and your policies, you know, do, do you want to use choke chains or not? Do you want to be only positive reinforcement? Do you want to um, only offer visits um, during certain hours of the day? Or are you willing to operate 24-7? Um, there's so many different day-to-day decisions like this that if you if you don't figure those out and if you don't have them written in your systems and in your policies, um, your business will just end up running you instead of you running your business. Right. It can just, quote unquote, just happen. And you can look up five, 10 years from now going, no, this isn't what I wanted. None of this is actually making me happy. I didn't want to be doing all of these services. They're kind of a waste of time or, you know, so taking that time to step back, pen to paper and and really think about your why, what you value, and, and, and what you want to offer to yourself and to your community. And if you have employees or want to have employees, what you want to be able to offer them. It's, it's this really big picture, stepping back and looking at that big picture so that when you're down there in the nitty gritty, you, you know that there's, there's, there's things above you that are helping guide and control as, as things move around. Right, right. And again, just don't, think that you have to have everything figured out from day one and that you have to have this 50 page plan with every little system and policy written out and you know it's just don't don't think that way take it one day at a time one step at a time the only person putting pressure on you is yourself yeah i'm curious if you've ever gone back and looked at some of your early drafts or maybe some of your policies from (laughs) a year or two or three years ago and and kind of what you think of those (laughs) oh yeah yeah so i carry around a uh like a hundred page spiral notebook with me all the time and i go through uh about one of these notebooks every three to six months so i have a stack of these notebooks all labeled uh with their time frame and Every now and then I'll look back at like my notebooks uh, of my notes and ideas and stuff from like 2016, 2017, even into 2018. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, what were you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'll probably, you know, in 2025, I'll probably look back to my notebook now and say the same thing. But that's life. That's life. And just don't let that stuff hold you back. You know, it's all a learning experience and just make the best of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, Doug, I, I'm, again, so thankful and grateful that you have you've come back on. You've talked about all of these things that that um, are out there and are, are big decisions that people need to be thinking about. And as you mentioned, it's it's not just a, you know, get it all figured out right now, as, as we just talked about, this is going to and should change over time as you learn. Um, but I know there are a ton of other things that are out there that we didn't even touch on. So how can people uh, get in contact with you, ask additional questions and, and, and follow along with what you're, you've got going on these days. Yeah, absolutely. You can check out our website. It's badtothebonepetcare.com. We're also on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash badtothebonepetcare. We're on Instagram at badtothebonepetcare. And you can shoot me an email at badtothebonepetcare at gmail.com. That's all spelled out, all one word, all lowercase. Uh, and you can uh, follow my personal travels uh, with my traveling pet sitting that I mentioned at The Wandering Pet Sitter. 
on Instagram as well. Um, I, anybody that has any questions or would like to, to follow up with me, you know, please shoot me an email, DM me on Instagram, shoot me a Facebook me message. I'm happy to talk with anyone that has any questions. And I have recently started offering uh, some business consulting services. Uh, so if anyone is interested in that, please, again, just shoot me an email and uh, we'll set up a meeting. Well, again, thank you so much, Doug. It's been a real pleasure and um, I hope to bring you on again soon. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. So what do you want your life to look like? What do you value? If you've never done this before, maybe it's been a while, take some of the time that we have right now before things get crazy, crazy again to think about those things and plan for the future. Are you standing for your business? What are your guiding principles? As Doug said, if you're not standing for your business, who is? And what will be done to safeguard it for the future? Now really is a good time to think about exactly what we want our businesses to look like moving forward. Last week, we talked with Amber about rebranding, and now this week with Doug and just whole business structure. If you've thought about this, use this time to start implementing some of those plans and reaching out for help if you need it. We'd like to again thank our friend of the show, Time to Pet, for bringing this week's show to you. Check out our website, PetSitterConfessional.com, for all of the links and extensive show notes for this episode and every single other one. We'll talk to you guys again soon.